0: Hello there everybody and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy and joining me today is Mr Samuel Luckhurst. Samuel, how's it
1: going? No bad, thank you Dan. Nice to have you back on.
0: Absolutely. I feel like I only come on when there's like absolute um, disasters from United. I think my last one was after the Brentford one, so rather fitting that I'm back here um, today of all days. And also with us today, of course, is Mr Stephen Railston. Steve, how's it going?
2: Yeah, not too bad myself, Dan. Thank you very much. We're going to nickname yeah. you the, the Grim Reaper at this real, aren't we? We'll exactly, exactly. From, um...
0: More like Grim Reaper, because <laughs> it is hard not to. Um... Samuel, where where do we even begin? Six three against Manchester City. I actually don't think it is, is as humiliating or as a, or as as much of a crisis as that Brentford game was um, a few week back now. But no matter which way you look at it, it's certainly certainly not good whatsoever.
1: No, the, the Brentford game was a generational nadir. Um, that game, let say, was never going to define United's season, but you, you've got to really give them both barrels when they concede six at City. The, the scoreline flattered them. They were they must be you know, thanking Ansi Martial for uh, ensuring that they only lost by, by a three-goal margin. But when you concede six goals in, in any game, however... Great or poor, the opposition. That there have to be substantial changes, and there has to be uh, a, a pretty major reaction to it as well. I think one of the most alarming things about the game on Sunday was that United were a hell of a lot worse than they were in March when they lost four-one at City, and they conceded. I think in the fifth minute in that game, it was only they only held out for three minutes longer with this defeat, and in that game they were actually in it for an hour I think it was only until Rashford and Lingard came on with that that you know infamous double substitution that backfired that things started to go all right but that was I think it was 2-1 at that point to City only and United gave a pretty good account of themselves in the first half but the game yesterday they the, the players and Ten Hag Ten Hag said it was about a lack of belief and they did look as though they had a lack of belief but it's it's Somewhat ironic, I guess, when a team concedes six goals, but the defenders aren't the biggest problem of the team. Uh, The forwards were, the four forwards in the first half were just luxuries. Uh, I saw someone say about United are trying to press too much. I don't know what that pressing was because I didn't see any of it. And if if it was pressing, it was one of the most amateurish attempts at it by uh, a top level team. There was one occasion in the first half where ake i think he actually carried the ball into united's half and united staff member sat sat nearby to us was absolutely furious that ake was allowed to do that and you looking at that at the time you're thinking okay mctomley's going to have to engage him now but if mctomley does that he leaves kim de bruyne free and that is probably other than leaving erling Haaland free one of the last things you want to do against city the tone was just set from the first minutes. They, they there was that fl- that flurry where McTominay put a block in and De Gea made a save, and that all came from a cross where, Harland remarkably was was unmarked, and he was the least likely to score in that position because the ball was just a bit too high for him. But sometimes you just wonder what what, what professional footballers are thinking. Uh, Wayne Rooney, who, okay, you know, he's, he's, he is one of the most intelligent talkers about football, I think. He's, his columns are a must read every Sunday. And the top line of his column in the Sunday Times was United need to eliminate the crosses for Haaland. I think five goals yesterday were scored from crosses. Uh, you know, say what you will about Rooney's managerial career and the fact that he's managing in the MLS, but he can see that that's the easiest route to Haaland and the easiest route to Haaland scoring. And City ended up scoring five goals from from crosses coming into uh, the United area. So there was no, apart from Marshall's cameo, there wasn't a single positive from that game. The wingers didn't provide any protection for the full backs whatsoever. I think that was an interesting point, uh, observation that Paul Scholes made on Instagram this morning. in that There was a time where, more recently, that, that Jose Mourinho got stick for... Um, giving Eden Hazard stick for not tracking back and mucking in with his fallback, that is a prerequisite now. I think everybody acknowledges you. You see, City's players uh, do it. They they work like demons. They are um, whatever the the third, uh, whoever the opposition. You just look at Guardiola. They they cannot satisfy him enough. He is apart from when he's celebrating the goals, he gives the impression that his team are losing because he is striving for perfection. That Although it might be unattainable, he is always trying to attain it. And United, unfortunately for them, in recent years, it must be something in the water there. You put forwards in that team, and the work ethic is just not what it should be. And it's it's poles apart from City, but City are poles apart from United in in just about every way. And I mean that that was a pretty serious dosage of reality there yesterday, in that. One team had spent 225.4 million pounds on strengthening their squad in the summer, and although they set up looking quite bullish, the team was as expected. They were they were worse in every single department, and some of them, frankly, just looked absolute, absolutely petrified of playing against some of those City players. Yeah,
0: absolutely, couldn't have summed it up better. But like Samuel, I don't know. I, I'm sorry, Samuel, Stephen, too many S's. Stephen, I don't know what the um, I don't know what the thinking has been on the 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 red half of the the MEN's podcast, but over on, on over on the city side, before Sunday last week, um, Joe and myself, we we were kind of optimistic about United's chances. They came into this game four game winning streak, two wins against you know Arsenal, who are still top of the league, lest we forget, and Liverpool. They weren't quite the Liverpool of last season, but still a big scalp, no doubt about that. Four wins on the bounce, and it seemed to me that. How United looked hit on the counter, their speedy, um, speedy attackers, the distribution of Eriksen, almost perfectly set up to kind of get in behind City where they are a bit weak, get um you know rattle them a bit like Newcastle did as you'll well know um earlier this season. It seemed like United might actually be well suited for that, and Joe and myself we thought United had a decent chance and there's no no inclination that'd be such um, a whitewash. But then within two minutes, Grealish. Gets the booking at Adalo. McTominay is forced into that sprawling block, and the tone is set from the offset. And it was clear from then on that the game was only going one way. How, you know, it's it seemed so such a stark contrast to how United have been playing recently. Then going into this, and they seem to have forgotten all the progress they've made over the last few weeks after that Brentford game.
2: Well it was almost a shock and it almost wasn't at the same time and um, it sounds a bit contradictory but you know we've just t- discussed that progress that's been made in the last few weeks and there had been progress there was some positive performances individual improvement that was being made you look at those those teams when it when it came out around uh, was it one o'clock sorry on Sunday afternoon and after, my my confidence increased when I saw those two teams you saw Kanji at centre-half so the they alongside him and you thought god this game's going to set up perfectly for United to counter-attack and for Rashford to use his pace to get in behind but the problem was Dan you just talked about the, the counter-attacking approach United were getting the ball in those few moments and a lot being made about the lack of composure and the lack of self-belief but they were just rushing they were getting rid of the ball they were getting rid of you know not keeping possession giving it away far too cheaply and against City we're going to dominate the ball anyways you can't do that that's that's a cardinal sin and I mean, as soon as that first goal goes in, both of the first two goals were, were amateur, as Samuel said. I think the first goal, obviously, Ericsson loses his man. Um, But from that point, I think Rand's there. I think this was picked up on Match of the Day as well. He looks around and maybe he should say, look, Ericsson, you come in or, you know, Dallow come across the, the dangers. Yeah, and, and and that doesn't happen, obviously. And for the second, I'm sure we'll come on to this in a bit more detail. Samuel will I'll have his say, but... That goal from that corner, that is just, it's pathetic, isn't it? It, it really is. You, you cannot leave Erling Haaland unmarked from a corner. Um, and I know there was a lot of talk, obviously, about Varane, who was off the pitch. He was obviously injured, wasn't he? And perhaps he would have marked uh, Haaland. But get Metomini on him. He's, he's the second tallest player, isn't he? So get, get him on, get him marking. There's, there's no excuse for that. It's just the basics. And once you've got two goals down against C, I mean, they were excellent from the first whistle. They were really on the ball yesterday. And the game was kind of gone at that point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you say, I think that it kind of comes to the big talking point. I, I think you're spot on. City's team comes out. And if you're not watching City regularly, you probably don't realise how well Akanji has been since he's come in. He's been amazing, really good. And for £15 million And he, he can that. Exactly, absolutely. Because he wasn't even that good at Dortmund when he's come into City and settled in brilliantly. But you're right. Like If you're United, you might not know how good he's been. You think, oh, Diaz isn't playing. That's weird. And the biggest one, Rodri not playing. You think, oh, you can get a Gundogan, perhaps. But it just didn't happen. I think you're spot on there that the, the distribution just wasn't there. You
2: know
0: How those kind of attacks were launched against Arsenal with Eriksen threading those passes through to Rashford just wasn't on show um, against City at all. I think Samuel Neville said before even the opener that United were just not using the ball correctly. I think I wonder if that does stem from maybe United's biggest contention in the starting eleven is that Casemiro didn't start and had justified it before the match saying he stuck with his team. That played well against Arsenal. McTominay has been playing well before and doesn't deserve to be dropped. But, you know, I think many thought before the match. It was a time for Casemiro to come in and hindsight didn't prove them wrong.
1: That team was pretty much set in stone two weeks ago, maybe even four weeks ago, going back to the Arsenal game. um, A combination of that, the postponements to the two league games, the defeat to Real Sociedad as well where the rotation didn't come off and that wasn't all down to Ten Hag. There were some issues with his management that night, like playing Fred as the number 10, but he, the, the personnel he picked by and large was was pretty sound. And after, certainly after that Sheriff game, you, everyone knew that if Rashford was fit or Marshall was match fit, I think it was always a stretch for Marshall to start, but if Rashford was match fit, he would come in for Ronaldo an and that would be the only change and that proved to be the case. And a settled team, more often than not, is is positive. There, there's no uncertainty. There's 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 some rhythm there, but it can also be a negative, as you said. There were some curveballs in that City team. In the Grealish starting was pretty noteworthy, uh, just because he's underwhelmed by and large his time in the club. And certainly, I I thought that it would be Foden on one side and, and maybe Mahrez on the other, um, with with Bernardo Silva and Kevin De Bruyne, but Obviously, with Rodri coming out of the team, that was in force. So they had to readjust to that slightly. City's team was more unpredictable, and as Stephen touched upon, when, when the team sheets did drop, most of us in the City press room were like, you know, this this looks quite quite appealing for United. they they could they could cause some damage here. But the caveat you always have is that with City, whatever the front six they play, it's the best in the world, and United just could not contain them whatsoever. As far as the McTominay selection was concerned, I saw some United fans, or I was alerted to some United fans saying, oh, we've won with him. Why should we change him? If a Formula One car is slow and cannot keep up with the other car and knows it, they will tweak the engine. What Ten Hag did was very, very naive because he should have had Casemiro preparing, uh, integrated into the team weeks ago. McTominay was decent to okay in those games against uh Liverpool the night that Casemiro was paraded on on the pitch that was 6 weeks ago and then Southampton 5 days later and Leicester five days after that those Southampton Leicester games everybody expected Casemiro to start he didn't and okay when he came when he did start against Real Sociedad he was cumbersome he was pretty poor that game a Europa League group game on the night that the Queen died when everything felt very very strange and subdued is not a reliable gauge of a player's worth and it, it was just naive from Ten Hag I thought in the you go back to Ferguson's days and he would pick out a certain player make a beeline for him weeks before a big game and assure him you're not playing in these two or three games coming up but you are playing in this game because you're you're my big game player or I've got a big role for you in that day and United have not been associated with forward planning since his days. And when you go to City and you do not have a defensive midfielder, the chances are you're going to be in trouble. And people can say, "Well, you know, Solskjaer went to City and won three games with pretty much an identical game plan to, to Ten Hag yesterday." This is a better City team than those teams. They've got they've got Harlan now. I know it's a very simple thing to say, but they have got a striker who looks like he's been built in a lab. There are no weaknesses to him whatsoever. They have got world-class defenders. They've got world-class full-backs. They've got world-class midfielders. They are, you know, it's, it's pretty overwhelming that the sheer might of that team. And you have to have a contingency plan to counter that. United didn't have that. And the con of playing four-two-three-one, which is a formation that Ten Hag has settled on. I mean, a lot of people have said, why couldn't you play Casimir Kas- and McTominay? Ten Hag was not going to entertain that. Eriksen has been one of United's best players so far this season. He has to play. He's not dropped Fernandes yet. Fernandes has been, up until yesterday, he's had a reasonable start to the season. The Arsenal game was his best performance in years. So he's always going to be one of Casemiro and McTominay. But by not playing Casemiro, he'd already played him out of the team. And everybody knew it was going to be McTominay starting yesterday. But as I said, in terms of that system of 4-2-3-1, if the forwards are not mucking in, that is a big problem because you leave the midfielders isolated. Ericsson, you know, his durability, understandably, is is, um, is is going to be questioned at points in the season and, and that's as much out of concern as anything because of what happened in, in Copenhagen last year. But you've got to look at the wingers and Sancho has never been great at tracking back. Anthony Uh, I don't think that's going to be necessarily part of his game. That's going to be something he has to adapt. He has got a bit more, um, you know, he's got time on his side. He's he's not played in England yet. But when you've not, as a, the the trouble United had yesterday is that during these four games where they've won, there have been caveats to them. They've, They've been wins underpinned by pragmatism or breakaways, but they played as a team, which was hardly ever the case last season. Yesterday, they were not a team. They were disjointed and there were too many individualistic performances, and most of them came from the forwards. And as bad as Malacia was, and I can remember how abysmal Patrice Evra was on his debut in that first half at City back in 2006, and Melassia was worse, but he was not helped out whatsoever by Sancho. And it, it took me back almost two years ago to the day to Spurs' 6 1 thrashing of United. And I was told one of the main Um, tactics from Spurs that day was that the the phrase that was given to me was that United's wingers don't like to defend. So it was get at the fullbacks because they're isolated. And that's what Tottenham did. They scored six goals. You saw City yesterday, the way they got at the fullbacks, they scored six goals as well. Different managers, but pretty much the same outcome.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, as I said earlier, the tone was set so early on with Grealish just running at Dallow, getting that book in. Don't think it was long before Malassia followed him into the book. So, to have both your fullbacks on yellows within so, you know, 20 minutes, wherever it was, half an hour, yeah. just blunts your teeth so early, doesn't it? Reduce, you know, you, United, especially like when McTominay starts and those sort of games, you, if you're not as good as City, which they're obviously not, and there has to be kind of allowances left for that, City are miles ahead of everyone, and there's no shame. Apart from them being your city rivals, of course, of taken a beating off them because they're gonna beat everyone. That's you know, they've got the best strike in the world added to the team that was already the best in the world. It's it's ridiculous. But in that sort of derby atmosphere, Stephen, you need that oomph, that bite. And United just didn't have it's hard to kind of focus on one thing because no one was good apart from the one caveat, which we'll get to later on, to have a bit of a positive note. But I'm kind of I've got a list here of people who played bad and it's just they started eleven. There's n- no one it's, you know, take it away. Who do you kind of want to dig in on? Because everyone kind of deserves a bit of it here and there. Because again, no, just no one showed up at all in such a big game.
2: Completely, completely. And I'll touch upon. Uh, I think it was actually a blog post from Samuel. touched You just talked about the atmosphere there, Dan. But it was hardly raucous uh, that he had, and that kind of said it all. Would you know what I mean? Winning the game six three, or it was six one at one point. And for the atmosphere to not be that loud, for the stadium to not be that excited. Obviously, we saw the return of the Parson and didn't move. But apart from that. It's never too loud at the Etihad. I think that's uh, I think that's fair to say. But individual performances, look, you could talk about them all. But I think it's it's right to talk about that front three, who were just oh, so unbelievably bad. Um Rashford obviously started down the middle, that was the correct call, but there was moments where you kind of press a kanji, or I think it was like a half press. You it was just you know not much effort into it, and a kanji would step out. And I think that Samuel alluded to that before. I think it was a kanji who stepped out with a ball. And you can't give City centre-backs time to do that. And Ake was doing that. And it was creating overloads on the left, on the right. And they just pick up the passes. And that would leave Malassia. Uh, I think it was two, two and one against against Foden. And then City were obviously going to exploit those areas and get loads of joy, joy from that wing. So, And then you've got, obviously, Sancho as well and Anthony, who were both very poor. And, and, and that kind of set the tempo from the side. You've got, to, you've got to, in the front line in these games, you're not going to match City with your talent. You've just discussed that, Dan, which is fair enough. Man-to-man, United are inferior. That's the fact. But you've got to go there and you've got to put a spirit of performance and you've got to put yourself about. And United didn't do that. And that's the basics, isn't it? That's, you know what I mean? That's the start of the match. You've got to do it from the first whistle. Uh, Sancho, he's in danger of becoming a 73 million flop. Um, he, he just keeps regressing to these kind of performances. and um, We keep giving them chances. He keeps having maybe one or two few games where he'll take on a few players or have a few good moments, but they're far too fleeting. I understand, obviously, it is hard to... to to reach those levels consistently when you're in a struggling team but he's had a season now he's settled in life in Manchester and he can no longer have those excuses uh, obviously he scored it that he had uh, earlier this year didn't he but he was very very poor very poor yesterday and obviously Anthony got that goal but he wasn't much better and as Samuel's talked about City and Liverpool are so brilliant because everybody works so hard they've got talent they're, they're well coached but they are relentless with their work rate. I think it was a clip of Mo Salah the other week and I think he was the last man back sprinting back for Liverpool and putting in the challenge at Anfield. Could you see Sancho doing that? Could you see Anthony doing that? I couldn't. And we didn't see that yesterday. And that, that just left the midfield exploited. Even if Casimiro started and let's say De Bruyne was playing for United, let's say he was representing United, it would have still been the same story because that front three were not pressing, they were not doing their jobs and that just led the ball into United and left them ex- exposed unfortunately.
0: I think what must be kind of the most disappointing from a United perspective is that City, despite having so much power, firepower with Haaland I and mean, being so good, they haven't really been at the best so far this season. I know they're still undefeated and everything, but they've, there's been a kind of because they've brought in this new firepower and they've sacrificed that false nine that usually that usually made them a bit more secure in the middle. We're bringing in Haaland in, they have kind of made themselves a little bit more vulnerable perhaps than they used to be. They've sacrificed a bit of control. For that, just absolutely blistering front three. And we've seen it upside, obviously, Stephen. Newcastle tore to shreds at times. St Maximum, I've never seen St Maximum play so well. Like Newcastle really should have won that. And, of course, it was Highland that didn't. Palace went 2-0 up against them. Um, Dortmund, at the Etihad, it was only John Stone smashing it in from 30 yards that kind of let City break Dortmund down because they weren't going to do it before that. There's a clear kind of, City can be got out this year, it's been proven already, you can get something for them, you can rattle them, you can kind of get under the skin, you can score, but Samuel, like, as as we said, United just fell fell to pieces within a minute, and there was no, I thought, what was kind of weird is, like, the the defence that has been kind of, three clean sheets in the last five or six games, has it been? Like, it's been developing a good partnership, and that consistency's been good, but it seemed like Martinez and Varane, like, had never met each other at points, like, The communication seemed off to me. Just gaps appearing everywhere. Maybe, as we've discussed, that doesn't not help. They haven't been protected well. Not a proper defensive midfielder. The wingers not mucking in. But, you know, as Stephen said earlier, and you're not marking Haaland from a corner or even in open play. You're just kind of begging for trouble, aren't you?
1: Before the first goal even went in, Ten Hag was so concerned by United, uh, how deep United were, that he was coming out of this technical area to you know, shout at them, try and tell them to move higher up the pitch. And then looking at Foden's first goal uh, and City's first goal, I think Veran's in the six-yard area when the ball goes in. Um, City pushed them almost as far back as their goal line. Uh, United were that deep. So even inside the first five or six minutes, whatever it was, Ten Hag noticed that there was a big problem with how how withdrawn United were. And I don't think had Varane stayed on, that United would have won that game or recovered necessarily. That I still think they'd have got beaten, but you still can't underestimate. I suppose the um, how how greater the the scoreline was, or certainly by City scoring six goals after Varane did get injured. He gets injured at one nil. He's off the pitch because he's had treatment uh, for for the corner that Harland scores from. When when Ten Hag was, it was quite amusing in the in these post match press comments. When Ten Hag was asked about Christian Eriksen marking Harland at the corner, he he said Christian Eriksen marking Harland. Like he, he seemed to be the last person in the eti- at the Etihad to be aware that it was Eriksen on on Harland, and he, he confirmed, unsurprisingly, that that wasn't the plan. So that's that's probably a fault of um, sorry a flaw in in the United players game management that nobody's actually able to say, to tell someone or say to Scott McTominay, look, the the, the big man's off the pitch at the moment, so you've got to be on Haaland because you're you're tall. Um, There's just no organisational nails there at all, which is is another concern and was something that I think United fans had hoped that Ten Hag had um, addressed and that he he said how much of a leader Varane is and I think some players have taken on Uh, different types of leadership roles so far this season but it was always early days and certainly September was not the time to judge United and October isn't either but there's there's enough to be concerned about already and going back to your point about City having some tight games this season this is exactly why it's why heads need to roll at United for conceding six goals. Crystal Palace should have been 3-0 up at City and would have been but for some dreadful uh, officiating uh, Dortmund were 1-0 up and were, you know, they had that late capitulation because the, the goalkeeper for some reason decided not to save John Stones' his shot and uh, Bournemouth only lost 4-0 at City. Newcastle have taken a point off City, uh, albeit at home, and, and the same with Aston Villa as well when Villa were 1-0 down and, and managed to rally and, and, and get an equaliser in that game. So there's no excuses. There were no excuses whatsoever for the way United performed particularly in the first half I mean the second half it, the game was already over and done with by that point it was just a matter of how many City would win by but this the first half was almost unforgivably bad particularly when you consider that it was only what, six or seven weeks earlier that United were thumped 4-0 and trudged off at half-time 4-0 down at Brentford.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we've kind of mentioned Harlan. I think we have to kind of give the give the guy some credit and not as if he's had enough. You know, it's the first time United have been on the receiving end of him, the first time they faced him, faced his wrath, and he got three goals and two assists as well. The complete package, Samuel. And I'm sure, I've no doubt there'll be stories going around about how United kind of came close to getting him before he went to Dortmund back in January 2020. Some people who might not have been following it as closely as, well, of course you were back in that, that time, I might be wondering why United didn't do it when it was so obvious he was destined to be the world's best striker, if he wasn't already at that point anyway. But, you know, why, why don't you kind of fill in those who might not know quite why, you know, it wasn't quite as simple as United turning down because he wasn't good enough, was it? There was there was a good reason why at the time United didn't sign Haaland, even if, even if they might well be regretting, be regretting it now.
1: Well, people who know the family were always adamant that he was going to go to Germany uh, because they just thought that the Haaland thought that Dortmund was the ideal place for him uh, for the next phase of his career to develop. But they were, they were extremely receptive to to joining United and you know, the discussions were relatively advanced as well. Uh, Marcel Bout, who was the head of Global Scouts, went to watch Harland in person, I think in, in uh, Red Bull Salzburg's last mm-hmm. Champions League group game against Liverpool that December. I think Solskjaer visited him as well, uh, maybe a week later or later that week. But ultimately, United's a mistake. At, at that point, it was unclear whether Mina Rai- how involved Mino Raiola was with Erling Haaland. And United tried to sidestep him and deal with Jim Solbakken, who is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's agent and had also facilitated Haaland's move from Molde to Salzburg in 2018. And of course, that didn't go down well with Raiola, who um, pretty much ensured that Haaland would not go to United. And, and earlier that year, I mean, Raiola's relationship with United was very frosty by that point anyway. And earlier that year, he tried to engineer a transfer for Paul Pogba to, uh, to, to Real Madrid and he gave a pretty incendiary interview um, in the month that Haaland actually joined uh, Dortmund to the Daily Telegraph where he pretty, tore into, pretty much tore into United over a number of things, but ultimately it came down to uh, the release clause uh, that obviously ensured that Haaland left when he did earlier this year. Um, the family wanted that inserted into the contract, whichever club he would have joined, and United also uh, blamed uh, the agents' fees, which is is a classic. Um, I mean, they've they've done that before um, to bl- you know when they've not signed a player or not gone for a player. It, agents' fees is always uh, a convenient excuse. So that was another issue. Um, and then you know, when when Ralph Rangnick was even in manager last year, he was you know un- unsurprisingly urging them to go back in for Haaland. But everybody knew that they were never going to be in for him. Uh, because they they weren't in the they're not in the Champions League this season, and also they refused to deal with Raiola by that point before he died. Whereas Manchester City um, actually sent some staff members to Raiola when he was in hospital uh, to to progress discussions and negotiations. Uh, I, I always thought it was clear in the summer of of last year, uh, particularly after the Kane deal didn't materialise that. Haaland, everyone knew he was going to leave this year and it was going to be for one of two clubs and that was always going to be Manchester City or Real Madrid and of course he's gone to City because um, as he says in the documentary that was filmed quite recently there was an expectation that Real Madrid would sign Kylian Mbappe
2: Brighton's Caicedo, sorry Dan comes to mind, doesn't it Samuel nope. when you talk about agents fees as an excuse? Uh,
1: yeah, Caicedo was mm-hmm. another one um, yeah. and there, there was an even more um I, mean, I think he cost £5 million, Caicedo. And, and a colleague said that they'd spoken to someone else at United who said, oh, why would we spend £5 million on, on Kaisado when we can use that money for better use elsewhere? And you think? Spent the well, 30 million, that map, didn't they? Well, it was <laughs>
2: well, just hilarious to talk this summer of them splashing out, what, £40 million alone perhaps, and Brighton they passed up the chance of, what was it, £4 million, uh, of you just said, five, So that just shows about the recruitment, doesn't it? It's been an absolute mess. Absolutely. Yeah. Mess.
0: I want a little thought exercise for you, Stephen. If United had have signed Haaland in that January of twenty twenty, <laughs> let's say they they accepted the sell-on fee, whatever, and then he left this summer, would A either A would Haaland be as good as he is now still, or B um, or would he have been like corrupted by United? Or B, would you, you know, where would United be if they had have signed him? Would they be better off? Even if they still lost him and if he went to City or Madrid, either way. Would United have been better off accepting all the fees, accepting the sell-on clause? Would they be better off if they had have done it?
2: If Haaland had joined United, Dan, wouldn't be having this conversation. United would be trouble winners and we're it would be paradise <laughs> at Old Trafford. You know, this this that result wouldn't have happened on Sunday. I think <laughs> we're talking about mentality before. We talk about Haaland's mentality in the interviews he does pre-match and the way he talks about scoring goals and whatnot. He is an unbelievable player. But on the subject of mentality, I kind of just wanted to add on that point before we're talking about the, the high line of United, sorry, the, the very deep line of United, how, how deep they were and and their approach to the game. And I don't know whether that is kind of insecurity in the dressing room or, or the mentality. Samuel sent me a message before, the players came out and discussed a lack of belief in the game and, and Ten kind of blamed that as an excuse. But I can't say Ten Hag obviously was going to approach the game with a pragmatic style and that they were going to play a bit deeper. But I couldn't have saw him this week telling him to play that deep and to play you know, that passive. I don't think that would have been in discussions, but it was from the first whistle. They were sitting far mm. too deep and they weren't pressing and they were sitting off. Um, So whether that is in that dressing room, do you know what I mean? After last season, mm. I think a lot of players might still be struggling with confidence and it's it spilled over into this campaign, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I think it's worrying like, as I've said earlier, there's no shame in getting battered by City, but there's a shame in because six. You can go 2-0 down within 20 minutes, but at that point, that's when you go right, you show up shop, you consolidate, you don't don't go and concede another two in the first half because it's just ridiculous. Because imagine they actually just, right, we've lost this half here now, let's just keep calm, tighten up, stick on Alan, don't sacrifice everyone else, get everyone back in, stay tight for whatever it was, half an hour left, and keep it tight going second half Anthony scores when it's only 2-0 it's a completely different complexion but as you say they just completely capitulate every time but as we said there was one positive um Stephen and that was Marshall coming on it's his first um only second appearance of the season and he scored twice it was like you know it softened the blow it um saved a bit of face um I think the United fan players got a bit of an applause off the pitch afterwards, which was surprising considering half of the fans left at half-time and absolutely no blame there whatsoever. But um, he scores at quite an instinctive header. I think City had like, called the dogs off at that point point, had turned off a bit. But he, he steals in, gets a good header and a brilliant penalty. And that, if nothing else, that is a bit of optimism because he started pre-season so well... Um, then, of course, they got injured at the start of the season, came back for that Liverpool game, set up the second goal, was a really bright cameo there. And he's done the same here. It looks like he might finally, at long last, be getting that Martial back again. He certainly seems more suited to playing that striker role than Rashford in the brief
2: minutes we've seen. I'd always err on the side of, uh, of caution with, mm. with Martial, of course, but no, he, he deserves a lot of credit for that. You know, last season, obviously, went on loan to Sevilla, struggled, had a few injuries. Uh, enjoyed a good pre-season, looked very sharp in Australia and Thailand, and he's obviously been injured uh, again this season, but when, he's, when he has played, he has looked good, um, and, and that penalty was generally world-class. I've, I've watched it a few times, now it was breathtaking, a top-right corner, fantastic penalty. I think next week at Everton, on, sorry, this this weekend on, on Sunday night, at Goodison Park, I'd probably start him through the middle, I'd probably start him up front. I've always thought Rashford was, was better off the left, especially after such an ineffective performance on Sunday, mind you, you can make the case of Rashford to be dropped, but that's a that's probably another conversation. Um, but I'd personally start, if providing he's fit enough, obviously, Martial, I'd, I'd probably start him on Sunday. And Sammy, would you agree with that?
1: I probably would at this stage, yeah. I, I don't, I've don't. i never been convinced by Rashford as a centre-forward. I think it's still an issue for United that some debate his best role. That debate ended about three or four years ago. Uh, he's he's left-winger. And there's certainly merit in starting Rashford on the left and and Marshall through the middle against Everton and, and dropping Sancho. I I'd, I'd be surprised if Sancho and and Rashford both start, as I would be if if both of them go to the World Cup. I think there are too many um, obstacles in the way of, of of them as a duo somehow to, to get in that England squad. I just I think it's going to be one or the other or or none at all. So at this stage, it, yeah, I think that yeah you know, Ten Hag put Marshall through the middle in pre-season. He had a very, very good pre-season. His two competitive appearances so far this season have been excellent. His, his contribution in the second half against Liverpool was particularly pivotal. Uh, that was pro- possibly the best performance from Marshall in, in, in a couple of years for United. And I think his goals on, on Sunday were his first for United exactly a year to the day, and he only got one for United last season. So it's it's been a... A slow start for his season, but he's if he starts in uh, Nicosia, which you would expect, um, hopefully United have got that game won reasonably comfortably so he can come off after now and then start at Everton on the Sunday. And Everton are the team he scored um, more goals against them than any other opponent. I think he's got seven seven goals against them. So it's um, Goodison does tend to be a happy hunting ground for him.
0: Have you got hope, Samuel, that he's finally going to kind of realise his full potential or at least get back to good form? Or is it going to be like another false dawn for him? Because there has been quite a few.
1: There have. There have <laughs> indeed. <laughs> uh, I mean, the talk of potential with Marshall just seems quite um, misplaced because this is someone who turns 27 in December. Uh, I, I always go back to... Uh, you know, it was typical typical Dutch manager, so somewhat appropriately, but Ronald Koeman, that time when he scoffed at the suggestion Ross Barkley could still be regarded as a young player. And I think Barkley was 20, might be 23, 24 at the time, but he was right in that he played enough uh, professional football that that protection, that shield had, had been revoked by that point. And certainly, Marshall and Rashford in, in football terms are not young. Marshall is into his eighth season with United. Um, Rashford the same, albeit his his first season starts in February. But the the young card that those two could play um, expired a number of years ago. And with Marshall, it is interesting because, like Rashford, he's played his best football United from from the left wing but he did have a good and I'd say an underrated season as, as the centre forward in 2019-20. In he, I think, ended up with 23 goals that season, but he had that knack of actually salvaging some really poor anonymous performances with a goal. And any striker would tell you that, that that's an enviable knack to have. If you're scoring important goals without having a good overall performance, you're doing your job. Um, but whether Martial is is the solution, the long-term for United as as their number nine, I I, I think it, you'd be daft if you didn't have doubts. I think he's still got a long way to go there. And also there's the likelihood of them signing a goal scorer next year, given that this is almost certainly going to be uh, Ronaldo's last season with the club.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, after the Brentford game, Stephen, um, Ten Hag made a big reaction. He cut Maguire, he cut, Ronaldo, he cut Sancho, I'm um, Sancho, Shaw, sorry. Big reaction, there was an appropriate response. What reaction does he have to do after this one? Because it's just a big month October, a tough run of fixtures.
2: Well, Eriksen said they were having a meeting today, didn't they? I think uh, after the match, God knows what's been said today at Carrot and hopefully some home truths have been said because that needs to happen uh, after yesterday's performance. Obviously, we're recording on a Monday afternoon. But yes, obviously it needs to be a massive response. Um multiple changes need to be made in, in personnel. You can't put that same team out, you just you simply can't. Um like I say, I think I'd I'd personally uh, Sancho would come out of the team for me. Um it might be a bit harsh to drop my lasse, so kind of people talk about that on Twitter after one. Obviously, it was a nightmare performance. But I think I'd make a statement. I think I'd bring showing. I think I'd give him a chance. Um, obviously, Casemiro, we've talked about him already. He has to come in. There'll be something really, really wrong, something badly wrong if Casemiro doesn't start the weekend. I think you get very, very short odds on, on the start. So someone suggests actually today that, look, if if I think I said it earlier, actually, if obviously, frankly, Dijon comes in the team, he'd be starting straight away, wouldn't he? Casemiro wouldn't have been on the bench. Sorry, Dijon wouldn't have been on the bench for a month. Um, but look the, the players that you get that in training again they've, they've talked about the self belief they've got no excuses everything uh, they've, they've not been very good in the lampard and they're making steady improvement in this season but you've got to win that game if you are manchester united you you know especially after a result like that
0: yeah definitely i mean i say october it's, it look it's shaping up like a pivotal month samuel Everton, you know, they're not exciting or good to watch, Stephen, bang on, but they actually have got the best defence in the league this season at the minute after the three goals City conceded on Sunday. Um, you know, there's fixtures in Everton, Newcastle, Spurs, Chelsea and West Ham coming up, Samuel, intersected um, with Europa League ties. It, it's a big month and if United, I think it's going to be, I say it can't be judged on the season in October, but I think we'll get a good understanding of where they are headed at the end of the month,
1: especially when... That gap for the World Cup will be coming just a couple of weeks after that. Goodison is never a great place to go after a European away, as well as as United know only too well from from recent history. You go back to that Easter Sunday burial they had in in 2019 when they lost four 0 and you thought, how could it get any worse than this? And then <laughs> they've they've made a habit of conceding the minimum of four goals on over the last year. I think that was the, the eighth game yesterday that. They shipped at least four in, in one game. Um, but I mean, it's, I, I didn't know that when you said about Everton's defensive record. I mean, it's, it's pretty remarkable. I think a lot of people quite understandably had them down as relegation fodder at the start of the season. And they may still be. But to have only conceded um, seven goals is, you know, is, is staggering, really. I mean, they length 11th in the league. I knew that they'd obviously responded well to those. Two opening defeats and um, Lampard's made a couple of um, pragmatic signings that have, have have shored things up, and they've got some good professionals there as well, which he, he no doubts no doubt values. And also, the the time of it is is pretty um pretty inconvenient and interesting. 7 p.m. on Sunday, um, Goodson Park is is one of the it's a ground for the purist. It really is. Um, it'll be a shame when they do eventually make that move away. I think in 2024 it's due to be, so it's not much longer that they've got at Goodison, but it, it can be one of the most raucous grounds in, in British football, and Everton are obviously going to have the benefit of eight days preparation. United have got their, their midweek game in um, in Cyprus, so it, it is, it's a, it's a huge month. Um, it, it shouldn't normally be this way in October, but you only have to look at last year, what happened in October and how much of an impact... That had on United season. That was the um, that was certainly the beginning of the end of Volkan Solskjaer's tenure as manager. I'm not saying for one minute this is going to be, that's going to be the case with Eric Ten Hag, not at all. But they need to find themselves in a good position going into the the World Cup and when the season is um, is, is shut down for for six weeks or whatever it's due to be. Um, and and I suppose with the City result, he's just got to draw a line under it now. And try and you know, make the substantial changes to ensure that United start playing the way that he wants them to play, because they haven't been doing that. They weren't doing that in the four games that they won. As I said, it was pragmatism, it was counter-attacking uh, play that, that underpinned those wins. And look, they needed points on the board after the Brentford debacle, but they've. You know, it does feel a little bit like they're back to square one with this thrashing by City. Do you think?
0: United's players are good enough to do what Ten Hag wants them to do. Like I think I felt like the way they abandoned it after two games, it's because De Gea can't pass it out as from the back. He can hardly leave his six-yard box, as we know. He wanted De Jong to do I know Eriksen could do a, a kind of good imitation of it, but he wanted De Jong for that specific role. Do you think he kind of ha- can play how he wants to this season or is it going to be a pragmatic approach, You know, at least till January when he can maybe get in some new heads?
1: It will certainly take him time, and I think that the notion of January spending is is a little bit fanciful. I think something major would have to happen to, to prompt that when they've just spent two hundred twenty five point four million pounds, or certainly committed to spending that much. Um, you know, it's almost like you, you want your cake to and eating it, and you want the crumbs as well. You know, how how much do you want at that point? You've, you've got to try and bed players in and get them buying into your ideas and executing those ideas. The point about De Gea is a salient one. I, I feel uneasy on a weekly basis having no choice but to pick him as the goalkeeper. Um, I think he's he's stagnated. He has metaphorically stood still. I think it's very obvious in almost every game that he plays in. He's still possibly the best shot stopper around the world, but goalkeeping has evolved, and I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that United will be trying to get in a, a new long-term goalkeeper next year. Um, it'd be interesting to see what happens there. I think there are some players that are completely aligned with what Ten Hag wants. Uh, obviously, he's made uh, key signings, but that's why Casemiro st- sticks out like a sore thumb. He's the only one who doesn't have a clear connection to Ten Hag. Um, unlike Anthony and Martinez, who played under him, Malassia played in Holland. Eriksson trained with Ajax at the start of the year and, and played for Ajax at the start of his start of his career. Casemiro is the only one who has no obvious connection to Ten Hag, and he's obviously been starting games on the bench. Um, I think, it, you know, from, from what I was told, it, it was more the club, more John Murta who was driving uh, that signing. And you know, when when you do that, you, you you're going down a, a pretty slippery slope. And we were told outright in July on the preseason tour in Thailand that United were well prepared to go the whole window without signing a defensive midfielder because. Um, Ten Hag had that predilection for Frankie de Jong, but I mean, I think anyone, any of us guys um, or girls working on the desk, could have could have told United from the outset that they look a bit naive there, and it, it seemed seemed too good to be true, and it was because he didn't come close to leaving Barcelona in the end.
2: And you talked about the, sorry, Dan, you talked about the style of play there and obviously how long it's going to take to implement it. But I think perspective's needed, isn't it? I mean, last season, the worst Premier League points total of all time, you know, worst season for decades. It was an absolute car crash. It was a train wreck. It's terrible. Multiple embarrassments, Liverpool home and away, City home and away, bloody Brighton down on the south coast. That was terrible in May. So, look, it is going to take time. Football fans these days want everything now. And and that's just kind of the, the, the day and age we're living. But look at Arteta, for example, at Arsenal. I mean, that that first season. Look, it is going to be a bit transitional. There is going to be bumps in the road. But Ten Hag needs time to get it right, and hopefully, eventually, will come good.
0: Yeah, I agree. Completely agree. Absolutely. And on that very um, uplifting note, <laughs> seeing some seeing some optimism there, Stephen. Some uh, some sunlight coming through the dark clouds. <laughs> on that note, we will bring an end to this episode of the Manchester Red podcast. Thank you all very much for listening. We'll be back later on this week, no doubt. To Guys, hopefully not another massive defeat because that, be, um, that would be a crisis city, some I lose to Nicosia on Thursday. But we'll be back on Friday, no doubt, to talk about that and to look forward to the weekend's game at Everton.
1: Is there, is there any reason why it's at seven o'clock on a Sunday, Samuel? That is weird. Uh, the, the the avarice of the broadcasters, is, is I can only imagine, is, is the reason why. Uh, it's, it's an unusual season with the World Cup and there's a, mm-hmm. a hell of a lot of football crammed in. So it'd be good if they actually gave us a kickoff time for the Chelsea game, which is <laughs> weeks, um, yeah. in, in London and uh, two weeks on Saturday. Absolutely mm-hmm. um, scandalous that match-goers are seemingly not coming into the discussions for for, for any of that. Very Money, first. Money first, yeah. isn't
2: it? As you, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. oh, Well, Especially when the trains between Manchester
0: and London at the minute are the absolute job Indeed. that they are. But with any luck, we'll get that soon. As I say, we'll be back later this week to discuss the Europa League match and look forward to Everton but for now everyone thank you very much for listening of course you can get all the latest United news looking into that match and looking forward to the weekend over on uk forward slash Manchester United. you can get us on Twitter at Man United Men, where you'll be able to see all the articles from Stephen and Samuel and everyone else on the team dissecting the latest uh, troubled match but hopefully, um, <laughs> hopefully better times to come eh well if they are Or if they're not, we'll be able to talk about it either way later on this week. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you then. Bye-bye.